So how many of you can relate to something like this? You're doing something and there just seems to be some monotony that kind of sets in. Uh, maybe it's the laundry because as soon as you get through the laundry, it seems like there's another load of laundry. And then every night, the, the family wants to be fed. They want to eat something for dinner every single night. And sometimes that can get kind of monotonous. And sometimes you are working your job and you're just doing, you're just showing up one more day. You're doing one more sales call. You're doing one more, you're answering the phone one more time. And sometimes you just kind of get a sense of, Am I really getting anywhere? Am I making progress? Uh, is, uh, how, how do I know if I'm making progress? What does that look like in my situation? Or am I just kind of doing the next thing, the next thing, the next thing? So we are in this series called How to Church, and we're focusing in on how teams work together. Uh, so that's why I'm calling it the team edition. This is part three, where we're talking about being purposeful. And since the beginning of the year, we've been talking about these objectives that we're prioritizing, a return to Sunday mornings, and we were able to do that right away, uh, restarting children's ministry and rallying around the mission. And in order for any of these things to happen and for church to happen, there has to be a team approach. And even in church teams, you can find that same kind of monotony. You're showing up, you're setting up chairs, you're doing uh, one, more, uh, one more pot of coffee, you're doing one more small group, but are you really making progress? And so that's the question that we're asking. How can I know whether I'm on track or not? Whether I'm on track or not? A couple of years ago when The Mandalorian came out, I did a series actually around Christmas based on The Mandalorian. And, of course, their saying is whenever they do something that is in line and on track with how Mandalorians live, they say what? This is, this is the way. Exactly, exactly. So that's just one way of saying, look, we know we're on track. We're doing what we're supposed to do. This fits with who we are as Mandalorians. This is the way. And I mentioned in that series that whether you know it or not, the original name of the movement that was started by Jesus resurrecting from the dead was the way. That's what they called themselves. They were the way. So how do you know, okay, this is what I'm doing. It fits with who I am. It takes me to where I want to go. This is the way. A couple of years ago, I started reading a great book. I, I keep on my, I have one shelf in my library that's books that I constantly refer back to. And this is one of them. It's called Made to Stick by Chip and Dan Heath. And in, uh, it's all about how you get messages to stick, the, to, to make a message sticky, to make sure that it is remembered. And in the beginning part of that book, they talk about this idea of, of how to know whether or not you're on track. And he said in the military, they, you know, they go through all kinds of planning. They do a lot of planning for every mission and lay out logistics and objectives and things like that. But, of course, the old cliche that is an old cliche because it's true is that no plan survives contact with the enemy. You know, uh, no, no sales call survives contact 
with the client. No uh, lesson plan survives contact with a classroom. You always have to adapt. And so they would come up with these elaborate plans, but then find that it was hard to follow those plans, hard to make use of those plans, because in every situation we face, there are all kinds of variables. So what they decided to do was to put at the beginning, at the top of every, of, of every um, plan for every battle, what they called the commander's intent, the commander's intent. And that was, uh, if you don't do anything else and all these plans don't unfold exactly the way they should, then make sure that this happens. Make sure that this happens. And according to the book, there were two questions that they would ask or two kind of fill in the blanks that they would go through in order to identify what the commander's intent was. One of them was this. If we do nothing else during tomorrow's mission, we must blank. So it's just a way of clarifying. You know, we've come up with all these plans, but really this is the thing that has to happen. If we do nothing else during tomorrow's mission, we must Then another fill-in-the-blank that they would go through is the single most important thing that we must do tomorrow is blank. The single most important thing we must do tomorrow is blank. It was just a way of identifying exactly what it is that you were trying to accomplish so that you can adapt and you can uh, encounter variables and encounter a change of plans, but you still know where you are going. The single most important thing that we must do tomorrow is blank. So over the course of this three-part series on teams, we started out, and you kind of pull it together, with talking about picked. And that the idea there was that when God wants to do something, he picks a person. Whenever we see God wanting to do something, he picks a person. And then he, that person is not alone. In partnered, we said that great teams maximize our strengths and make our weaknesses irrelevant. When God picks someone, he surrounds them with a team to accomplish it. And today, we're going to talk about how we define success. How do we know whether we're on track or not? And the big idea, the overarching thing for us is that success as a follower of Jesus is fidelity to Jesus. It's the idea of faithfulness. And I define faithfulness this way. If success is faithfulness, faithfulness is doing what God calls us to do. It it starts with God. It's his idea. It's something that he wants to accomplish. He shares that with us, invites us into the process. But if we are just doing our own thing or off on our own tangent, that's not going to be faithfulness. That's not going to be success. So faithfulness is doing what God calls us to do when he asks us to do it. Sometimes delayed obedience is no better than disobedience. You have to act in a timely manner. So it's doing what God calls us to do when he asks us to do it to the best of our ability. Earlier in this series, we were talking about how excellence is a key value, a core value for us as a church, that if we are serving the king of kings, if we are serving the, the master of the universe, then we should put 
our best effort into it. So we're going to do whatever he calls us to do, when he calls us to do it, to the best of our ability and leaving the results to God. And that's an important part because if you were to look at, uh, at Jesus' ministry in just a particular snapshot, you see him uh, get a lot of success and followers and then go to the cross and die. That did not look like success to the surrounding world, to the watching eyes of the world. But the results, the end results of that were exactly what God had in mind because Jesus was being faithful to what God called him to do when he called to do it the best of our ability and leaving the results to God. So before we finish today, you're going to have a much better idea of how to define what success is in whatever particular endeavor you're looking at. And we'll look at it in the context of the church, but it will have application to your home life, to your work life, to school, whatever endeavors that you are involved in. And I want you to be able, by the end of today's message, to identify your next win. This is the, what, what does it look like? What's your next step in being faithful because success is fidelity to Jesus. We're going to see this from this particular scripture passage. In John chapter 13, Jesus is giving his last words before he goes to the cross to his disciples. It's the night of the Last Supper. It's the night before he goes to the cross. It's the night that he's betrayed. So this is really his last opportunity to give instruction and direction to his apostles. And so that's pretty important. And what he does in this section is basically tells them, this is what it's going to look like to succeed as a follower of Jesus. This is what it's going to look like to be faithful. Uh, I'm going to read from verse 12 to 17 and then uh, pick up uh, conclusion and summary statement at verse 33 to 35. So this is what it says. This is right after Jesus has washed the disciples' feet. Verse 12, after washing their feet, he put his robe on again. He put on his robe again and sat down and asked, do you understand what I was doing? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right because that's what I am. And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. I tell you the truth. Slaves are not greater than their master, nor is the messenger more important than the one who sends the message. Now that you know these things, God will bless you for doing them. And then beginning at verse 33. Dear children, I will be with you only a little longer. And as I told the Jewish leaders, you will search for me, but you can't come where I am going. So now I am giving you a new commandment. Love each other just as I have loved you. You should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, as we look at your word today, I pray that you would give us insight and understanding. And I pray, Lord, that you would uh, help us to know exactly how to apply what we hear today to our lives. I pray that through your Holy Spirit, through the scripture, 
through our interaction together, that you will speak to each person, to each heart, that they will hear a specific, clear word from you about what is next for them and what you have for them and what your hopes and dreams and desires are for them, and that you would give us willing hearts to follow you wholeheartedly. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So just a reminder that uh, this is just one of the experiences, and in the month of April, we are going to sync up our experiences again. Of course, you're here on site. We expect that this uh, schedule will continue pretty much uh, for the foreseeable future, but you can always check that out on the calendar online. And then these messages are available on demand so that you can listen or watch whenever you would like at our website. And then right now, we are running Cornerstone online so people can watch together uh, but that they are listening to and watching last week's message. So sometime in the next week or two, we'll probably uh, put out two messages online so that'll get us caught up and synced up together. And that'll also make it easier for people to participate whether they are, if they switch back and forth between online and in person as well. But remember, wherever you experience Cornerstone, this is what we are about. We inspire and equip. We're talking about motivation and giving you the tools to follow Jesus wholeheartedly. And what's the why behind that? Because we know that following Jesus makes life better and makes you better at life and by the way, brings glory to God in the process. And we encourage everybody to let us know who you are. You can text new to our church number. You can go online. That way we can stay in contact with you wherever you are. So what we've been saying is that success is fidelity to Jesus, fidelity to Jesus. And in order to understand what that means, we have to begin by defining the win defining the win. If you want to know whether or not you are making progress, then you have to define what the win looks like. Now, if you are playing baseball or football or basketball, that's pretty easy because when the game is over, you just look at the scoreboard and you figure out who's won. It's the one who has scored the most points, the one who has the higher score. But in life and some of the things that we do, it's not always as easy to understand that. What does a win look like in your particular situation? What does a win look like for a teacher? What does a win look like for a student? What does a win look like for a team within your church? What does it look like for a church or for your uh, role at work? And if you don't know what a win looks like, then it's kind of hard to decide whether or not you're on track. So the first step is to define the win. This is what Jesus was doing for his disciples that night before he went to the cross. He made it very clear. This is what you're supposed to be doing. This is what a win looks like for the followers of Jesus. In John 13, 34, he said, A new command I give you. Love one another. In other words, this is what a win looks like for a follower of Jesus if you love one another. And as I've pointed out many times before, this he says it's a new command. And when they heard love one another, they were probably like, well, there's nothing new about that. We've heard that for a really long time. But what was new was the measure. 
He goes on to say, as I have loved you. He gave them a new standard for judging what it means to love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. Uh, Also in this series, we talked about our core value of being other-centered. And what that means is selfless, sacrificial service and love to others. And Jesus is the ultimate example of that. He's saying this to his disciples right before he offers his life, his spilled blood, his broken body in order to save, rescue, and redeem his people. So he's saying, I want you to love one another, but just so you have a clear picture of what that looks like and what standard I'm setting out for you, it's the same kind of love that I have showed for you. You have walked with me. You've seen how I have served you and taught you and healed people and given my life, leveraged my life for the benefit of others. And now I'm going to go to the cross and literally lay down my life in order for you to be a part of God's family, for you to be adopted as his sons and daughters, for you to be included in the kingdom. But this isn't just me. This is what it means to follow me. It means to leverage your life, to serve others selflessly and sacrificially. That's the win for us as followers of Jesus. Andy Stanley, pastor and author, has given us a question that kind of reconfigures this so that whenever we encounter a situation, we can ask this question that kind of clarifies what it means to follow Jesus in that particular moment and in that particular situation. And the question is this, what does love require of me? What does love require of me? When I encounter this situation and, uh, and I'm not sure exactly what to do, well, I can ask myself, well, what does love require of me? And remember how we've talked about love is not just a feeling or an emotion. It is a decision. It's the decision to do what is best for someone else, even if it costs me. So that's what Jesus did. He's saying, I I see the problem. You are separated from your creator, God, because of your sins. And unless those sins are taken away, you will be forever estranged from your heavenly father. So I am going to give my life as an atoning sacrifice for your sins so that your sins can be forgiven, your guilt can be washed away, and you can be included in the family of God. He was seasoned and does something about it. He takes and meets the need even at great cost to himself in order to serve us. What does love require of me? Then, kind of like back to the Mandalorian again, where they're always saying, this is the way, this is the way. Well, this is the way for us as followers of Jesus. It's the idea of training people to serve others selflessly, sacrificially, to love one another the way that Jesus loved us. And so his commission 
after the resurrection, but before the ascension. We see this in Matthew chapter 28. Now, I'm going to give you the message translation because this is a really familiar passage, and sometimes we need to hear it with fresh ears. And so the message translation of the Great Commission is this. God authorized, Jesus speaking, God authorized and commanded me to commission you. Go out and train everyone you meet far and near in this way of life. So what does a win look like for us as the church of Jesus Christ? It means more and more people who are identifying themselves with Jesus and trained up so that they walk in the same way as Jesus, that they are trained everywhere, anywhere, far and near in this way of life. And then he goes on to identify. It means identifying with Jesus, and it means living like Jesus. So the whole idea is we're going to mark them by baptism in the threefold name, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Baptism is that ceremony that we in which we officially identify with Jesus. And so that's the beginning. That's the first step. You identify, you align yourself with Jesus. Then instruct them in the practice of all I have commanded you. So we want people who are going to think like Jesus, see things through Jesus' eyes, who react and love and serve in the way that Jesus would if he were living in your shoes. That's what a win looks like. We love like Jesus loved, and then we go and train up others, identify them with the body of Christ, and see them loving like Jesus loved, instructing them in the practice of all I've commanded you. So what we see in the scriptures is basically just an extended um, uh, exploration and explanation of what it means to love like Jesus loved. You have all of these commands, uh, all these one another commands, love one another, serve one another, forgive one another, welcome, accept one another as Christ has accepted you. And that's just the one another commands. All of these things are just little sub points under what it means to love each other as Jesus has loved us. And every church should define the win the way Jesus defined it. And so any mission statement or key uh, phrase that we use should be just a restatement of this win that Jesus has identified for us. So that's what we have done. And if you look at your bulletins and if you flip it to the back page, you'll see the story that we are living. And that's what we're talking about here. This is, this is what it means to follow Jesus. This is the win for us. We inspire and equip people to follow Jesus wholeheartedly. So success is when we follow Jesus wholeheartedly. It's fidelity. It's faithfulness to Jesus. And if we want to know what that looks like, we have to identify the win. And then secondly, we are going to identify the why. We're going to define the win, and we're going to identify the why. When you don't know the reason why you're doing something, then sometimes it is harder to motivate yourself to do it. But when you understand the why behind the what, then it, it makes more sense and it's more motivating. So why do we want to inspire and equip people to follow Jesus wholeheartedly? Because 
if you continue to read that paragraph on the back, following Jesus makes life better and makes you better at life and brings glory to God in the process. This is the why that Jesus gave us. This is based on John 10.10, where he says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I, Jesus said, came so that they would have life and have it abundantly. If there is a creator God who loves you and wants what's best for you, uh, then he's going to share what that looks like with you. That's what he wants for you. That's the why that motivates him. Whereas the enemy, the devil, is described here as the one who wants to steal and kill and destroy. And if we love others, we're going to want them to avoid that and embrace this. So that's the why behind us. If we care, I think about, you know, if you're a parent, you want what is best for your children. You, you hope for the best. You love to see them make good decisions. It pains you when you see them make bad decisions. Why? Because your parent heart wants what's best for your children. Well, your heavenly father is the same way. He loves you. He wants what's best for you. It pains him to see you make bad decisions because he knows what that's going to look like in your life. He loves you and loves to see you make good decisions because he knows that that's going to lead to life and life abundantly. So that's part of the why behind it. And then I also want to call your attention to the introduction to the Great Commission, that go and make disciples, train them, baptize them. In introducing this, in the first part of verse 18, it says, Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. That's the basis for that Great Commission. And what this suggests to me, makes me think of, is that not only is it beneficial for the recipient to receive what God has done for them, to follow Jesus wholeheartedly, because that's the kind of life that leads to life abundantly, it's also just the right thing to do. Jesus has been established as the one who is the supreme authority in heaven and on earth. So to bow the knee to Jesus, to follow Jesus, is just the right thing to do. But it also leads to an abundant life. And that's why every week I encourage you to settle this once and for all. To know without a doubt that you belong to Jesus, that you're on his path, that you've been adopted into his family, that you're going to be with him forever. When you commit your life to Jesus, you're not only going to follow him and enjoy the benefits of that, it's just the right thing to do. Because at some point, we know that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. You can do that now and experience the benefits of that or you can reject him and experience the consequences of that. So I encourage you to say yes to Jesus. Yes to him as Savior. Forgiveness for all your sins. Guilt washed away. A fresh start. And also to say yes to him as Lord. That he is the authority in your life. He's the boss. He's the one that gets to call the shots. And you're going to 
follow him. So for us as believers, success is fidelity to Jesus. And we, uh, Jesus made it very clear what that looks like as a win. Uh, it means that we're going to love as he loved us, and we're going to, tr- to invite others and train others to do the same. And why do we do that? Because he wants what's best for us, and that's the life that's going to lead us to what is best, and it's just the right thing to do because Jesus is who he is. But then the next thing that we're going to do is we're going to kind of spell it out. What does that look like? And I call that tracking the key indicators. Tracking the key indicators. If you've done any reading in business books, you might be familiar with the idea of OKRs. It's objectives and key results. It's very similar to what we're talking about today. You have an objective but you're also going to kind of bullet point that out. What does it look like to accomplish that objective? And those are your key results, OKR. Well, that's what the scriptures do for us. The big objective, love like Jesus loved. Train others to do the same thing. And then there are all these letters and, and historical records of how people live that out, the challenges that they faced doing that, and what it looks like to do that in any particular situation, and that's pretty much the rest of the New Testament. Well, that's very helpful for us as well. You can think of it in the terms of a marriage, for example. Uh, In Genesis 2.24, it says that, for this reason will a man leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two will become one. What's the objective of marriage? It's oneness. It's so that these two lives are joined into one. And what does that look like? Well, you could say, well, I know that I'm succeeding because when things, when, if something uh, joins us together, if something aligns us together, then that's a win for our marriage. If it's something that drives us apart or puts a wedge between us, then that's not a win for the relationship. So you have that, and then you can kind of uh, bullet point. Well, what are the things that are going to lead us towards oneness? And you might say, well, it, you know, we need to have a date on a regular basis. We need to make sure that we budget together so that we're on the same page financially. You can just bullet point, what does that look like? That's what the scriptures do for us when it comes to loving one another. But we can also do that in other aspects of our life, like marriage, like work, like the teams that we do at church. I want to give you an example of that. Since we've been talking about the need to restart children's ministry, I'll give you an example from the book Deep and Wide of how they have done this for a children's ministry. So first, they identify the win, the primary win. And they say, to guide children, to put their faith in Jesus, and to teach them who God is and how he wants them to live. Now, that should ring a bell, because basically what they've done is just taken the Great Commission and restated it and, and focused in on serving children. Put their faith in Jesus, teach them who God is and how he wants them to live. That's just the Great Commission restated. That's the win. But then they also have identified some measurable wins, some bullet points. Well, what does it look like? What would be happening if that were going to be accomplished? And these are called measurable wins. So this is just an example. We don't have to do exactly like this, but it's just an idea to get your your mind going. Well, kids attend. Yeah, I mean, 
that it's hard to do anything with people who aren't there. So we want kids to attend. Parents partner with us. I love that because children's ministry is really not taking responsibility for training your children in the ways of the Lord. It's partnering with the parents because the parents have the primary responsibility for teaching, training, and raising up their children in the ways of the Lord. But as a children's minister, you want to partner with parents. You want to serve them well in order to do that. Kids are taking next steps. We want to see kids growing, not just accepting Jesus, but growing in their faith. And then volunteer leaders are retained. You can't continue a ministry if you don't have any participants in the ministry. So we want to add, we want to keep people and keep them serving. So that's just one example. You've got the big win, the primary win, but these are measurable wins. These are things that you can chart out to know what this looks like. Well, what did Jesus do? He said, uh, after saying, new commandment, love one another as I have loved you, he says, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another, that your service, your love for one another, your selfless, sacrificial love for one another, that's what that's going to look like. And he kind of explains it a little bit more. This is in John 15, 13, where he says, there's no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. So he gives kind of the big picture, overall primary win, love one another as I have loved you. Well, what does that look like? Well, in each situation that you face, it means leveraging your life in service and for the benefit of someone else. Now, we've done this. We haven't publicized this as much as some of the other stuff that we say every week about inspiring and equip people to follow Jesus wholeheartedly. But we've kind of bullet pointed this as well. And this is like, if you do these things, then you're going to be growing in your faith. We know that this is the environment. This is the greenhouse. And if you put yourself in this situation, you think about a greenhouse. What does a greenhouse do? It manages the temperature. You've got all the sunlight. You've got, you're going to water and you're going to fertilize it. You're going to do everything that you can in order to maximize the growth. Well, that's what church should be like. And these are leading indicators. Another business book, uh, 4DX is the approach. It talks about how you want to focus on the leading indicators. These are the things, if you do these, they lead to where you want to go. So if you were, for example, going to lose weight, you don't put on there, lose weight. You figure out what are the leading indicators. Well, if I eat less calories, if I expend more calories, if I eat the right kind of food, if I get exercise, those are leading indicators. You do those things and you'll get to where you want to be. So we've identified for following Jesus, what are some leading indicators? Here are the things that if you do these, we expect from experience that you're going to grow. We call them our next steps. First thing is to worship together, to show up. Now, do you absolutely have to be a part of a church in order to grow in your faith? No. Can you worship God on the top of a mountain out in nature? Yes, you absolutely can. But in my experience, you don't grow unless you connect with other believers. You're not going to consistently make progress 
on your own as a Lone Ranger Christian. So we show up, we worship together. Next, we serve on a team. Now, these aren't necessarily in order of what you do, but if you start showing up, I definitely want you to start serving as soon as possible. Why? Because when you serve others, you're going to grow. If you want to learn the Bible, you start teaching kids the Bible, you will learn the Bible. If, uh, if you serve on a team, you're going to have a reason to show up. You're going to have people counting on you to show up. It will help you to become regular in your worshiping together. And when you serve on a team, not only will you show up and not only will you grow, but you are going to make friends as well. And that ties into this third idea. We want you to connect in a group. You want to have a circle of friends within the body of Christ. And then give a tithe. A tithe just means 10% of your income. Now, that might seem like a very high bar, uh, but what I find just practically the benefit of that is when you give at that level, it forces you to be a much better steward, a much better manager of the other 90%. So not only does it obviously benefit the church, if everybody gave a tithe, we'd be sitting in our own building, we'd be having extra staff, we would have all kinds of great things because that's what funds ministry is the, the, the gifts of the people. Um, but, the, but the other thing it does is it forces you to be a much better manager of everything else, and your life will increase. It's, this is not about what we can get from you. It's what we want for you. So I think there's a lot of wisdom and benefit for us as a church family, but also for you personally when you learn to be generous in that way. And then lastly, to invite a friend. The whole thing, how does the Great Commission start out with? Go. We go and we invite others in. If you want to have a much better picture of what your church is like, have a friend with you who is unchurched. If you want to see things through a fresh set of eyes, if you want to see the value of what we do, bring along somebody who is not already connected in church. So if, we, if you do these things, I know that you will grow. This will put you in the greenhouse. It will provide the steps and the help and the things that you need in order to propel spiritual growth in your life, and that's why we recommend them. So today, we've been talking about success. What does success look like? It's fidelity to Jesus. It's faithfulness to Jesus. And we're going to define the win, identify the why, and then figure out what those next steps, what those key results are in order to define success. And then if you do that, you will know that you're making progress. You'll know that you're moving in the right direction when you forgive, when you love, when you are generous. You can look at each other and say, this is the way. This is what we do. So practically speaking, what does that look like? I want you to identify your next win. You'll see there in your growth guide that under that line, there's space for you to figure out, well, what is that next step for me? What it, it might be to uh, do this with your team, to sit around the table as you're forming your team and say, okay, for us as a children's ministry, for us as a hospitality team, for us as 
a music ministry? What, what is our win? And why do we do this? What's our because statement? And then if we do what things, will that lead to the result that we want? And maybe God has made very clear to you what your next step is, and you can just write that in there. Here's the thing that I know I need to do. Maybe it's one of those things from our next steps that you, you want to make spiritual progress, and now you're like, oh, okay, well, this is what it looks like. I need to be committed to this, or I need to join this, or I need to participate in this way. However the Lord is speaking to you, you define your next win and then see what happens. And then in your groups, you'll notice that the last question, make sure you get to that, is what would a good next step or a win for you be? What, what would be a good next step or win for you? Make sure that you talk about that. And then if you don't have an idea in the midst of talking about that, you can help each other, you can suggest, you can identify it so that when we walk out of here today, you'll know what a win looks like for you. You'll know what your next step is and you will have confidence that you're moving in the direction that you want to and that you need to. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I guess as we close up, the thing that is most on my mind is that Father's heart that you have, that these things that you want for us, you want for us because you love us and because you have our best interests at heart. So I pray, Lord, that we would be able to see that, would be able to receive that, that we would trust you and entrust our lives to you. Give us wisdom and direction so that we know exactly what we need to do with what we've heard today. And then give us the confidence, the faith, and the trust in you to walk forward wholeheartedly in the direction that you point us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.